This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Yeah, I know. Hang on a second. I think there's someone following me. Yeah, I have my bolt right here. I'll be safe. Call you back. Don't be a victim to a would-be attacker. Carry the Taser Bolt and stay safe with one simple tap of the button. The Taser Bolt delivers a powerful, continuous 30-second volt of electricity without requiring you to hold down or touch the device, giving you time to take your attacker down and escape safely. Taser International will even replace your bolt upon sending them a copy of the police report free of charge. Get it now at pjsafety.com. While you're there, explore our family of non-lethal personal defense products to increase your defense capability and safety. Be proactive and get to pjsafety.com and choose from thousands of easy-to-use personal defense products right now. Tasers, stun guns, sprays, security alarms, and more. pjsafety.com. That website again, pjsafety.com. Your safety begins at pjsafety.com. This is David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. Folks, this too shall pass. Welcome to the program. What am I talking about? I'll let you think about that for a minute. Uh, Just a couple of items of note. I just celebrated, I guess that's how I would term it, my one-year anniversary of the People's Sheriff podcast. I think it was a week ago or a week or two ago. I was reminded by uh, some Twitter friends at Christy Chat. Uh, Lori's another one, and they've been very instrumental in helping me build my base on Twitter. That's a big part. My social media is a big part of even this program. That's why I always mention it, usually at the end of the broadcast, but uh, I'll mention it today. You can follow me during the week at Sheriff Clark, C-L-A-R-K-E, and at thepeoplesheriff.com. Uh, it's gone fast, I'll tell you, and, and uh, what an experience, really. You know, to get this opportunity once a week, I want to thank the Blaze. A lot of work goes into this. It's not as as easy as you might think, trying to take things and uh, make them interesting. I I don't do cookie-cutter stuff. You won't hear me often just repeating what everybody else is saying. I like to challenge some of the prevailing orthodoxy, and I like to take a different lens view at some of these things that are in the news, in our discourse, things of note. Uh, but I owe you as well, the listeners. You know, you can talk all day, but if nobody's listening, it's like the tree falling in the forest. So I really want to thank you for tuning in every Saturday. Tell your friends, share the link. I'm trying to build the the, uh, the listening audience as well, and I need your help to do that. Coming up on the program, have some more on the TSA. Yeah, that TSA. I have another experience that I recently went through Unlike Secretary of Department of Homeland Security, Jay Johnson, I actually go through the lines. I'm, I'm pre-check approved. And, you know, I could bypass that as law enforcement. You have to fill out forms, and then you go down this other line. There's nobody there. They don't make you take anything off. They they see you. They check your credentials. And, and I only do that periodically. Most of the time, I just get in line like everybody else. And I think it's good to do that from time to time because – not only does it keep you grounded, but it puts yourself in someone else's shoes and it allows me to see what the everyday traveler is dealing with, with this, this disaster that has become the, 
Transportation Security Administration in our airport checkpoint or checkpoints. But uh, one of the things I'm going to get into is how an employee of TSA working as a security guard at Dulles Airport who is suspected of being involved in in Somalia in human rights killings. I mean, he's known. He passed the TSA and the FBI background check to get this job. I think you'll find this an incredible story. So we'll talk about that. But here's where I want to start. You know, I mentioned opening the program, This Too Shall Pass. Some of you may know I'm talking about this this whole dust-up this week with GOP nominee for President of the United States, Donald Trump, in his reference to a judge handling his Trump University case, and he pointed out that he was Mexican. This is a nothing story. This is manufactured by the mainstream media, the liberal mainstream media, who is going to do this for the next five months to try to bring this man down. Folks, it's not going to work. None of their linear approach to this presidential cycle has worked. None of it, and nothing will. What it does is it causes Donald Trump to have to pause a little bit on what he wants to talk about and get into and and, and deal with it. Because you can't just ignore it. You have to deal, deal with it. And some of you might say, well, you know, why doesn't he avoid that? Well, you know what? That's what made Donald Trump taking these things on, punching the liberal mainstream media in the nose, punching prevailing orthodoxy in the nose, punching the GOP establishment and donor class and party elites in the nose. Otherwise, he would not have won this nomination. He would not have had a chance if he would have been just as vanilla as everybody else was. So why should he stop? There is a movement in this country that has had enough. And it is at a fever pitch. We run into this every once in a while in our election cycle. I'll throw the bums out. Now, I'm not suggesting we're going to throw out an entire class of politicians in Washington, D.C., But there's a hunger for an outsider, somebody who views the world differently than those people inside that Washington bubble. And so that's why I said, none of this is going to work. I had no problem with what he said. I might not have said it, but you've heard me talk on this program before. I'm not to defend Donald Trump. I think he's what this country needs. And so every time he does or says something, well, do, do you agree with I don't have to agree with him. That's not the point. I didn't say I disagree with him on on, on his uh, pointing out that the judge in the Trump University case is of Mexican descent. We do it every day with Barack Obama, the first African-American president. We're pointing out his ethnicity. To me, Barack Obama is the 44th president of the United States. I mean, I look at myself. I refer to myself as an American first, and I happen to be black. I don't have a problem with people who want to refer to themselves as African Americans. But I'll tell you what, if you're going to do that, and you're going to embrace, by the way, Mexican is not a race. African 
And Africa is not a race. It's a nationality. It may be a country of origin. It is not a race. So let's let's agree on that little bit, at least out of the box here, out of the chute. It's not a race. Hispanic is. Black is. White is. Asian is. These other ones are nationalities. But what we've done in this society, in this hyphenated society that we live in today, everybody is something hyphen American. German-American, French-American, Asian-American, African-American, Mexican-American. And that's fine. I'm not against it. But don't tell me that it's okay if people want to use it to their advantage when it suits them. And then when someone else points out, hey, you're Mexican-American, or you're a Mexican, that they're going to get offended by it. That it now becomes a slur? You must be kidding me. Now, this judge we're talking about, he's born in Indiana. He's he's the the son of, of, of Mexican immigrants. You know darn well he views himself as a Mexican American. You know it. He wasn't born there. I don't know if he's ever been there. I've been to Mexico a lot of times. I go there every year with my wife. For vacation, I love their vacation areas. I love them. It's a beautiful country. They got a lot of problems. They got bad leadership. But just because, and, and I heard Newt Gingrich say this, you know, he was born in Indiana. Where's Barack Obama born? All right, don't go there. Hawaii. He wasn't born in Africa, but he's still considered an African American. So just because. This judge in this case, Curiel, wasn't born in Mexico for Newt Gingrich to say, well, for heaven's sakes, he wasn't even born in Mexico. What does that mean? I wasn't born in Africa either. But that's what we're up against right now. And I'm very disappointed in how this is being handled by, and I shouldn't be, because these are people, these are never Trumpers. And they're vested in bringing this guy down. They will sacrifice the future of this country for their own selfish purposes. When we come back, I'm going to read Pat Buchanan's take on this thing. I'll tell you what, it is outstanding, and then I'm going to have some more comment on it. So we'll see you on the other side. This is David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc and Skip. Bernie Sanders has laid off half of his staff. He can say what he wants. Unless there is a miracle, it is not going to happen for him. Follow the money. Look at the indicators. We're in the general now, regardless of primaries left. It's Hillary Clinton versus Donald Trump. I know it's crazy, horrible that those are your choices, but for the two main parties, that's it. The morning blaze with Doc and Skip. Weekday mornings, 6 to 9 Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. David Clark, the People's Sheriff. Welcome back. We're talking about this latest flap over Donald Trump referring to this judge handling the Trump University case, bringing up the fact that he was of Mexican descent and wasn't going to get a fair shake or or wasn't thus far. Do yourself a favor. This stuff is going to go on for the next five, six months. This liberal media knows this guy's a threat. 
And they're going to do everything that they can, like they do every presidential cycle, to thwart the GOP nominee. But it's not going to work. So spare yourself all the anxiety. Every time one of these things come up, oh, my God, it's fatal. Oh, we're going to be in trouble. Oh, that's the end of it. No, it's not. Just settle down. So here's what Pat Buchanan had to say in an opinion piece. Before the lynching of the Donald proceeds, what exactly was it said about that Hispanic judge? Stated succinctly, Donald Trump said U.S. District Judge Gonzalo Curiel, who was presiding over a class action suit against Trump University, is sticking it to him. And the judge's bias is likely rooted in the fact that he's of Mexican descent. Can there be any defense of a statement so horrific? Just this. First, Trump has a perfect right to be angry about the judge's rulings and to question his motives. Second, there are grounds for believing Trump is right. On May 27th, Curiel, at the request of the Washington Post, and, and, and that should be a complaint, made public plaintiff accusations against Trump University that the whole thing was a scam. The Post, which Bob Woodward tells us, has 20 reporters digging for dirt in Trump's past, had a field day. And it was Curiel, an appointee of President Obama. He has for years been associated with the La Raza Lawyers Association of San Diego, which supports pro-illegal immigrant organizations. Set aside the folly of letting Clinton surrogates like the Post detract him from the message he should be delivering. What did Trump do to be smeared by a bipartisan media mob as racist? He attacked the independence of the judiciary, we are told. But Presidents Jefferson and Jackson attacked the Supreme Court, and FDR, fed up with New Deal programs being struck down, tried to pack the court by raising the number of justices to 15 if necessary. Abraham Lincoln leveled that eminent tribunal in his first inaugural, and once considered arresting Chief Judge Roger Taney. The conservative movement was propelled by attacks on the Warren Court. In the 50s and 60s, impeach Earl Warren was plastered on billboards and bumper stickers all across God's country. The judiciary is independent, but that does not mean that federal judges are exempt from the same robust criticisms as presidents or members of Congress. Obama himself attacked the Citizens United decisions in a State of a Union address, with the justices sitting right in front of him. But Trump's real hanging offense was that he brought the judge's ancestry as the son of Mexican immigrants, implying that he was something of a judicial version of Univision's Jorge Ramos. Apparently, it is now not only politically incorrect, but in Newt Gingrich's term, inexcusable to bring up the religious, racial, or ethnic background of a judge or suggest this might influence his decision on the bench. But these, these things matter. Does Newt think that when LBJ appointed Third Good Marshall, ex-head of the NAACP to the Supreme Court, he did not think Marshall would bring his unique experience as a black man and civil rights leader to the bench? Surely that was among the reasons Marshall was appointed. When Obama named Sonia Sotomayor to the Supreme Court, a woman of Puerto Rican descent who went through college on affirmative act and scholarships, did Obama think this would not influence her decision when it came to whether or not to abolish affirmative action? I would hope that a, is this a quote from her? I would hope that a wise Latina woman with the richness of her experiences would more often than not reach a better conclusion than a white male who hasn't lived that life, Sotomayor said in a speech at Berkeley Law School and in other forums. Can you believe that? Back to the story here. Translation, ethnicity matters, and my Latina background helps guide my decisions. All of us are products of our family, faith, race, and ethnic group. And the suggestion in these attacks on Trump that judges and justices always rise above such irrelevant considerations and decide solely on the merits is naive nonsense. 
There are reasons for why defense lawyers seek changes of venue and avoid the courtrooms of hanging judges. When Obama reflexively calls Sergeant Crowley stupid after Crowley's 2009 encounter with that black professor at Harvard and said of Trayvon Martin, if I had a son, he'd look like Trayvon, was he not speaking as an African-American as well as the president? Pressed by John Dickerson on CBS, Trump said it is possible a Muslim judge might be biased against him as well. Another inexcusable outrage. Does anyone think that if Obama appointed a Muslim to the Supreme Court, the LGBT community would not be demanding of all Democratic senators that they receive assurances that the Muslim judge's religious views on homosexuality would never affect his court decisions before they voted to put him on the bench? When Richard Nixon appointed Judge Clement Hainsworth to the Supreme Court, it was partly because he was a distinguished jurist of South Carolina ancestry, and the Democrats who tore Hainsworth to pieces did so because they feared he would not repudiate his Southern heritage and any and all ideas and beliefs associated with it. To many liberals, all white Southern males are citizens under eternal suspicion of being racist. The most depressing thing about this episode is to see Republicans rushing to stomp on Trump to show the left how well they have mastered their liberal catechism. Pat Buchanan. Outstanding. Now let's kind of unpack this for a little bit. First of all, judges are not impartial. The very notion of that is laughable. They are flawed human beings with biases just like any other human being. And our courts at the federal and local level are stacked with judicial activists. And to think that that activism doesn't enter into their decisions is laughable. So the fact that Trump points out, well, here's why I think I'm not getting a fair shake. You know, this I've said a lot of things about um, uh, building the wall and, 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 and against um, illegal immigration, and, and this might be affecting his decisions. So what? What's the harm in that? But the thing that I'm, I, I, I'm, I, I'm tired of is I'm tired of this sanctimonious, holier-than-thou, feigned outrage coming out of the mouths of so-called political pundits and elected officials like Senator Lindsey Graham, who encouraged GOP congressmen, after Trump said what he said, to use this exaggerated flap as a reason to take the off-ramp and abandon Trump. Or like Illinois Senator Mark Kirk, who endorsed Trump, but then unendorsed him for this one incident. You'd have thought that Donald Trump called Obama the N-word at a news conference, for heaven's sakes. The GOP candidates who haven't accepted the fact that Trump is the GOP nominee, get off your high horse. I'm tired of your self-interested high-mindedness. I know one thing about people like Lindsey Graham and Mark Kirk. You can't trust them as far as you can throw them. They're backstabbers, plain and simple. I mean, for heaven's sakes, I wish these GOP congressional politicians had the same attack dog mentality when it came to Barack Obama, when it came to Harry Reid and Nancy Pelosi. You know, and and, and when it comes to Obama, Reid, and Pelosi, these GOP people fold like a cheap suit. They walk around the halls of Congress with their tails between their legs. Look, Mrs. Bill Clinton is a straight-up crook. She lied to Congress. She lied about Benghazi. She got four Americans killed in Libya. 
She destroyed emails she was asked to hand over to Congress. She compromised government secrets, passing them through a secret server. The woman committed crimes for heaven's sakes. I did not hear Lindsey Graham or Mark Kirk say that she was unfit to be president. But Donald Trump, they think he's disqualified for calling out a judge's heritage. To which I say, seriously? we got a long way to go, but this is the type of fighting that you are going to have to be ready for, and then you're going to have to be willing to do. They're not going to hand us the presidency. They're not going to hand us the White House. This is going to be like rolling up, roller skating up a hill backwards. But we can get there. Coming up, we're going to talk about the, the TSA and the nightmare that this has been. David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. Buck Sexton. I wonder, though. Find this for me if you can, anybody. Does Hillary tweet out uh, any sort of congrats or peace and love or a high five during Vesak, which is the major Buddhist festival of the year? There are well, close to as many Buddhists in the country as there are Muslims. Buck Sexton. Weekdays, noon to 3 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. The Blaze Radio Network On Demand. David Clark, the People's Sheriff. Folks, you're not going to believe this next story. Wait, I take that back. I take that back. I didn't mean to insult you. If you're listening to my program, then nothing gets by you, so nothing should surprise you. I guess it was just a figure of speech when I said that. And even after all these years, 38 years in law enforcement, I can't believe that there's still things out there that just shock me. Not surprise me, shock me. And it should. So this is a story off of uh, Fox News. Accused Somali war criminal found working as D.C. airport security guard. Fasten your seatbelts. Get ready. Listen to this. A Somali man accused of leading mass executions and torturing people during the country's bloody civil war in the 1980s has been quietly working as a security guard at a Washington, D.C. airport for the past six years, all while passing FBI and TSA checks. Yusuf Abdi Ali, who is living in Alexandria, Virginia, is an employee at the Dulles International Airport. The Metropolitan Washington Airport Authority confirmed to Fox 5 on, on Wednesday. The airport authority also said they are aware that Ali who is now on administrative leave, was named in a lawsuit filed by a human rights group in 2006 for crimes against humanity. The case has had numerous appeals, is now destined for the Supreme Court, CNN reported. The Metropolitan Washington Airport Authority, quote, this is a quote, maintains a contract with master security to provide unarmed security services, said Rob Yingling, a spokesperson. Master security's employees are subject to the full federally mandated vetting process in order to be approved for an airport badge, including a criminal history records check by the FBI and a security threat assessment by the TSA, end quote. Yingling said the authority has verified that all of these processes were followed and approved in this instance. See, this is just a check-the-box mentality. 
Back to the story. Quote, we have been informed by Master Security, which hired Mr. Ali, that he had been placed on administrative leave, and as a result of his access to the airport, has, has been withdrawn, he added. The company also said it was unaware of the pending litigation and is now reviewing the facts surrounding the case. Officials told CNN that the U.S. government has been aware of Ali for years based on allegations that he had been involved in human rights violations but declined to elaborate. Quote, he oversaw some of the most incredible violence, and you can imagine Kathy Roberts, an attorney for the Center for Justice and Accountability, which is leading the the, the civil lawsuit, told CNN. He tortured people personally. He oversaw torture. A government regime led by Mohammed Syed Bari took power and ruled with an iron fist after a coup in Somalia in 1969. Ali, who then served as a commander in the regime, is accused of terrorizing the once dominant Isak clan in the country's north. Quote, he tied my brother to military vehicle and dragged him behind, he said. He said, if you if you got enough power, get him back. One villager said during a documentary that aired on CBC in 1992, according to CNN, he shredded him into pieces. That's how he died. Ali denies the accusations in the lawsuit, telling CNN that they are baseless and false. How dare anyone call him a war criminal, added his lawyer, Joseph Peter Drennan. Quote, if he is indeed a war criminal, take him to the Hague. Or if he's a war criminal, take it up with the immigration authorities. (laughs) Thank you. Mr. Drennan, back to the story. Don't sue him in an American court. My client deserves to live in the U.S. just as any other legal permanent resident. Ali entered the country on a visa through his wife, who became a U.S. citizen. You know that was a fraud. It says she was found guilty of naturalization fraud in 2006 after claiming she was a refugee from the same Somalian clan Ali is accused of targeting. Now, let's drill down into this. I just came through the Hartford, Hartford, Connecticut airport last week. TSA all over again. Remember, I, and I've talked about this incessantly, this process. It reminds me of a booking room at a jail or prison. That's what it looks like. So I know how to get through now, and I'm TSA pre-check approved. I paid the money. I've been fingerprinted photographed, and a background check done. So I go through the pre-check line, and I know how to get through this without setting it off. I just take off the stuff that I know sets it off, my belt buckle. I've talked about this, right? So I do that. I walk through the magnetometer. I'm telling you 100% of the time it's not going off anymore because I, I know what to take off. So I get through. They're screening my bag, and all of a sudden they said, bag check. So a guy comes over, is this your bag? Yes, it is. My carry-on. Is this a backpack? And he said, the, 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 the alarm sounded on your backpack. We have to search it. I said, go ahead. So he takes it over to the side. You know the drill. And he's going through it. I mean, taking everything out. And then he said, uh, you're going to have to take your belt off. You're going to have to take your boots off. And you're going to have to take your jewelry off, my watch. I said, wait a minute. I just did that and came through the magnetometer. Well, something set off the alarm in your bag and maybe you rubbed up against something. I said, no, 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 wait a minute. I'm TSA pre-checked to prove it said you don't have to take your boots off. You don't have to take your belt, but I did it anyway. And he said, well, sorry, sir, you're going to need additional screening. 
I said, this is why the lines are long at airports. Because they don't get to use their heads. So I take my boots off. I take my belt off. I take my jewelry off. And then another guy comes over and he says, we're going to have to do a pat down. I said, why? Well, the alarm uh, went off on your bag. I said, right, my bag. My bag. Search my bag. I came through the magnetometer and set nothing off. Why do you have to do a pat-down search on me? Remember when I said this reminds me of a, a booking room at a jail? He said, well, sir, the rules say. And I said, wait a minute. Wait, this doesn't make any sense. So he says, um, I'm going to need you to uh, uh, spread your legs and hold your palms upright, your arms out, and I'm going to pat you down. The guy literally starts at my neck, and he's squeezing, and he's working his way down my body, over my arms, down my waist. Then he says, I'm going to have to get up in your crotch area with my flat hand. I'm looking at this in amazement. I said, sir, the bag signaled an alarm. I did not. Search the bag, and that's all you need. Well, no, we can't do it like this. These are the rules. I don't make the rules. You want to talk to a supervisor? I said, sure, get a supervisor over. So they send over this woman, supervisor, and I give her the same. I said, my bag sound. I said, search the bag. I don't care. Why are you stripping me down and patting me down when the bag set off an alarm? Well, sir, the rules are the rules. We don't make the rules. I knew I was talking to a tree stump. Become my favorite phrase. I knew I was talking to a street tree stump right there. Well, sir, uh, we don't want to lose our jobs. And we, I said, oh, this isn't about airport, airport security, is it? This is about checking the box, making sure you follow the rules. Well, we don't make the rules. I said, I have a sneaky suspicion that if you did make the rules, not much would be different. Well, sir, do you want a, uh, the 800 number you can call? The, no, I don't want any 800 number. Uh, do you want to fill out a complaint form? No, I don't want to fill out a complaint form either. This guy in this story, Yusuf Abdiali, got through an FBI and a TSA background check. And I can't even get through the airport. This is amazing. This is our government. This whole TSA thing is a disaster. And it doesn't need to be fixed. It needs to be deconstructed. And done over again to where it makes sense and it allows human beings to use discretion. If my bag sets off an alarm, search the bag. I did not set the alarm off. I went to the magnetometer. This is, and that's why I said, you know, none of this should shock me anymore, but it still does. The Blaze Radio Network on demand. David Clark, the People's Sheriff. Find more on demand at theblaze.com slash radio. Jay Severin. I haven't bought it any time anyone has said, oh, this is it. Trump's really hurt himself down. You know, how many of those have there been? About 700? Well, that's it. He's gone too far now. I haven't bought in any of those. I don't buy into this one with the quote-unquote Mexican judge. I do buy into it somewhat. Jay Severin. Weekdays, 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern. On the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to David Clark, the People's Sheriff. Welcome back, folks. We're not through deconstructing this story on this accused Somali war criminal. 
who was employed as a D.C. airport security guard at Dulles Airport in Washington, D.C. You know, I talked about, you know, there's a way to deconstruct this thing and rebuild it. And it needs to allow people to use their heads. You do proper screening for employees. You, you hire bright people. And you use a risk-based model. Every passenger coming through an airport is not a suspected terrorist. But they treat every single passenger who comes through an airport as a terrorist. I brought up this risk-based model to this super, this TSA supervisor. I said, you guys need to use a risk-based model. And she says, do you know anything about risk-based model? I said, yes. Matter of fact, I have a graduate degree in it and security studies. And she said, oh, because she didn't expect me to have that answer. And I said, and I pointed to an, an elderly lady behind me who was coming through the line behind me. And I said, that lady over there, I can tell you right now, just looking at her. I said, she's not a terrorist. Just looking at her. And then I told her, too, I said, I've been to Israel, David Ben-Gurion Airport, several times, as recently as last December. And I said, they don't do this. They don't make you take your shoes off. They let you bring water in at the checkpoint. I've had a security briefing on their airport operations. I said, they, you, know why they, you know what they do? I told her, I said, they profile. But, oh, we can't do that in the United States because that's a dirty word, isn't it? And this lady didn't, you know, have too much to say. So that's why I said, you know, somebody uh, uh, suggested in Congress that we need to hire, immediately hire 700 new security checkpoint agents. I said, no, we don't. That's going to make this thing worse. But here's something else. How did this get by the FBI? Okay, the TSA, well, how did this get by the FBI? I mean, what kind of screening and background are they doing? And here's something else to think about. We just had this argument, this major policy argument about letting in Syrian refugees. Remember, Donald Trump said, you need to put the brakes on that. I called at the time for a moratorium. I said, let's let's slow down and let's straighten this thing out. And Barack Obama led the charge, trying to convince the liberal mainstream media, and that's not hard to do, that we could screen them properly and safely. No, we can't. This process couldn't stop Yusuf Abdi Ali from not only getting into the United States, but passing a background check to become a TSA security checkpoint officer. If they're missing this, ask yourself, what else are they missing? We cannot properly screen these refugees. It cannot be done. And Donald Trump was right. The brakes should be put on this thing until we Get it right. We cannot get it right. Here is proof proof positive. Yusuf Abdi Ali was able to pass an FBI background check 
and become a TSA agent. This guy was in a position, and this is what really scares me, he could have easily allowed some terrorist, because he's a security guard, onto a plane, or he could have taken a suitcase full of explosives because he's a a, a, a cleared security agent and thrown it in the check baggage. He easily could have done this. He has access to secure areas of the airport. Think about this. And we're worried about you and I coming through with a bottle of water? And they want to feel me up, up in my crotch because they suspect me of trying to bring something to a checkpoint? That's not how the terrorists are doing it. They realize the checkpoints are pretty much shut down. But here's something else to think about. Who's going to be held accountable? Is this this uh, master security who, who does the, 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 uh, the, the hiring, but they didn't do the screening. Remember, it says this includes a criminal history records check by the FBI and a security threat assessment by the TSA. His name should have had the system blinking red. What databases did the FBI use? What databases did the TSA use? And when he put his name into it, it didn't signal a red flag, but my bag set off an alarm going through the x-ray screening. There was nothing in my bag. I, I, you know what? I don't really like the idea of them searching my bag because I'm not under arrest. To me, that goes beyond a de minimis search, which is a, 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 you know, a lower level of search, right? It's like a pat-down when you're under arrest or when you stop by the police. They can do a pat-down for weapons. The courts have ruled that's a de minimis search, but you can't go in the pockets, it says. But you can do a, a pat-down over there. But I'm suspected of something if I'm stopped by an officer. What are they suspecting me of? Well, the alarm alarm. Well, search the bag, I said. This is also indicative that our immigration system is broken. This guy got into the country fraudulently. It says his wife, his wife was found guilty of naturalization fraud in 2006 after claiming she was a refugee from the same Somalia clan Ali is accused of targeting. So she marries this guy and gets him into the country. That's how he establishes his citizenship. You know, and his lawyer, this this uh, Peter Drennan, says, quote, if he is indeed a war criminal, take him to the Hague. Or if he's a war criminal, take it up with the immigration authorities. He's right there. Take it up with the immigration authorities. Our immigration system is broken. Donald Trump is right. This is how easy it is to get into the United States of America. For people who are not well-intentioned. And then they put them on administrative leave. You know what that means, folks? He continues to get paid during this investigation. There's not much to investigate. Fire the guy yesterday. 
And somebody needs to be held accountable at the FBI. What FBI agent did this background check? And someone at the TSA and their background check needs to be held accountable. Folks, nobody will be held accountable. One of the things that said in the story is, uh, we've made some changes. That's the standard pat answer from the government when something goes horribly wrong. Oh, we made some changes. This, it's aggravating. When I see this, I get aggravated. But nobody at the government does. Where's Congress? Off this story... And I'm not one of I'm not one of these fans of you know calling for congressional hearings, but but somebody's got to be held accountable for this. Our airports are not safe. This is incredible. That's all we have time for today, folks. Thanks for listening. God bless you. You're listening to David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network.